Hi, my name is Sambal Siddiqui, Mayor of Cambridge. And I'm Alana Mallon, Vice Mayor, and this is our podcast, Women Are Here. Hello. Lots to talk about. Oh my God, so many things to talk about. Who's exhausted? (laughs) Uh, It me, it me. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the last week, it's Friday. So last Friday morning, we woke up and found out that the President of the United States had COVID-19. And it has been approximately... 475 days since last Friday. <laughs> I, I just, the longest nights and there's, it's been crazy. There was a debate. There was this, you know. Which, by the way, did you watch the debate? I did. The best part uh, was the spy, right? <laughs> well, it certainly was memorable. Um, I was going to say that, you know, I didn't let my daughter watch the pre- the presidential debate because I, mm. I, I, I went back and forth to try to figure out whether or not it was a good idea to let her watch um, that what I thought was going to happen and what ended up happening, which is just a travesty, tra- travesty of a debate. But I wanted her to watch um, Kamala, Kamala. And, and Mike because I thought, you know, it might be a more like normal <laughs> debate. And it was really striking me um, to watch her, you know, 12, almost 13, watching Kamala saying, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. And then just go on and like just watching her absorb that power that Kamala, you know, expressed. I was so pissed at Susan. For yeah. Just like, I mean, just like she was, I, whatever. I mean, it's not her fault, but he kept talking, kept talking. I mean, I just, I was, we need to meet these, his mic. Uh, it was just, I'm glad Kamala, you know, said that. And I'm like, um, you know, Susan. I I was reading on Twitter this morning, a really interesting thread around, um, you know, how difficult it is to be a black woman in that space and claiming her time and trying so hard to walk a line of like not being too angry. um, You know, all of the things, right? Like being in that space and showing up as yourself and trying to be smiling, you know, not being too angry, saying all your points looking amazing like she really hit all the marks and how hard that is to do but that Susan the moderator was like every white woman right who just doesn't use her power in that position to actually advocate for people of color women of color and that um that really hit home for me where like (laughs) you know we're having this whole conversation in the country about racial inequity supporting black women and this the role of white women um, and using their own power to help and, and support in that situation and just watching it kind of play out was really, mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. So incredible. So, um, yeah, so the vice presidential debate was, um, w- like I said, it was 475 days ago. Since then, we have found out that 34, peop- 34 35 people now um, who are associated with the White House um, who either attended the uh, Rose Garden super spreader event or are you know, yesterday was like a, another White House journalist. So, and then there've been, you know, a lot of questions around the vice president and whether or not he is COVID positive given that he, you know, seemed to have some issues with his eye and having like pink eye. Yeah. Was one of the yeah. symptoms. And then he canceled travel today kind of suddenly. So I, oh, just gosh. so much craziness. And then yesterday, right, we found out that um, the governor of Michigan, there was a plot to kidnap her. Kidnap her. Yeah. Um, and I, the weirdest part about the whole thing is that we're just, I just feel like we're all like, wow, that's weird. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> Four years ago, <laughs> this would have dominated the news cycle. People would be outraged. It's just, it's so, there's so much insanity right now. Mm-hmm. And it feels like over the last week, it has been just amped up. And I'm, I am really worried about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Like how crazy this is going to get. Like every day I wake up and I'm like, what do we, what, what's, what are we going to hear today? You know, it's just, it, you just don't know. You just um, don't know. But going back to just really quickly, the vi- vice president de- debate, it was, you know, she's a black woman, she's a South Asian woman. And it's just, you know, it, she, she, you know, she did a great job, I think. And um, seeing her just start off the bat talking about how this administration has been, you know, a failure, uh, especially with this COVID uh, response. Um, you know, she made a lot of great points. So I am glad the debate was actually a debate, uh, unlike the the week or two before, which was, you know, as you've said, a travesty. So, uh, you know, we've also tried to, you know, as much as that stuff's been happening, we've 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 also been trying to find some some outlets. So we both started this documentary called The Vow on HBO uh, now, and it's wild. What episode are you on? I just finished episode four last night. <gasps> You're ahead of me. Oh my gosh! So yes, okay. So the show, the documentary, is about a cult. Um, it's a self-improvement group, Nixium. Yes. Um, but Nixium. Then, you're right. So it starts off as just out of this like culty thing. And a lot of, a lot of people from Hollywood were involved with it. Um, but now it's turning into, it's like actually like a sex slave cult, which is so wild. And it sounds so weird. Like every time I say to my husband, oh, I'm going to go watch my sex cult show. He's like, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you have anything better to do? Um, but it is really, it's fascinating to watch. And then this woman who whose daughter is in a cult and they're trying to get her out because she's like part of this whole Wait, no, like, don't spoil spoil anything. No, no, what I was gonna say is so this woman is actually Amanda Carrington from Dynasty, which I used to watch when I was like little, little. Um, it was like one of those like nighttime soap operas. Have you ever heard of Dynasty? I have. Okay. So, anyways, I was like, oh my God, I know this person. It's so wild to know this person. But it, um, it's it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Um, I really am enjoying it so far. But yeah. there's been a bunch of news about it recently because uh-huh. people have gotten indicted. Right, for sex trafficking and, and racketeering and all these things. But anyway, I'd recommend it. You know, I'm hopefully going to finish more episodes this week, but it's been, it's just, a, it, it's good. It's, it's a, you know, I love a good sex cult thing. <laughs> you know, what's wild to me is that every cult you know, documentary you watch, you're like, wow, they really taped, they really taped a lot of what they did. And it's like, is it, what is that? that they and just there's like always obsession a with nasty man involved. Always. Always. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Okay. Um, to more exciting and pertinent details. Okay. So voting, there has been a huge, we've been talking about voting. We're excited to vote. It's coming up very soon, November 3rd. Um, but a lot of people are, have opted, especially in Massachusetts and in Cambridge, to vote by mail. So the mail-in ballots arrived at the Cambridge Election Commission this week. Hooray. Uh, yeah. You can mail them back, uh, but I would suggest doing it ASAP if you're going to use the U.S. Postal Service and then follow it until it's registered and received by the Secretary of State. You can follow it right online to make sure it's received. 
And if it does not receive by election day, you can always vote in person um, on election day at your own poll location. But we also have drop boxes for those mail, mail ballots if you don't wanna use the postal service. Um, so those are at 51 Inman Street. There's one behind City Hall, uh, right by the back door. There'll be one at the Moore School on Granite Street, one at the Cambridge Police Headquarters on 6th, at the Baldwin School on Oxford Street, and the Old Neal Library on Ringe Avenue. They're all locked right now, but you can start dropping them off when early voting starts on October 17th, which is, I think, next Saturday, uh, so yeah. a week from tomorrow. So there'll also be drop-off or drop box locations at the early voting sites, in addition to the ones I just mentioned. Um, and the early voting sites are the Longfellow Community School at 359 Broadway and the rear entrance, the water department on Fresh Pond Parkway and the Vellante Library, which is the, at the new King Open School Complex uh, on Cambridge Street. The entrance is on Berkshire Street, which is the side street. So the early voting schedule is uh, a little complicated to read here but you can see the full schedule and all of the information I just said uh, as my pinned tweet on Twitter. And I posted it to Facebook too. Um, so. Yeah, I posted some information too. Uh, so yeah, all, to, all that to say, no matter how you vote, just vote everyone. Just vote Very and make important. a plan to vote. There's so many different ways to vote this time. Are you gonna, are you gonna go in person early? Are you gonna vote by mail? Or are you gonna put it in the Dropbox? Are you gonna go on election day and get your sticker? Cause I know like, that's something that I, I'm really missing with this mail-in voting is not getting the sticker. You don't get the sticker this year because they didn't, they, did you not hear about this? No. They're not doing stickers because of COVID. I don't have much to say beyond that but there's no stickers. Cause Did I went in person. Oh, I voted in person. Yeah. And there was no stickers lame yeah so um we will we've talked about this we're working on figuring out how we get a really awesome inclusive design for next year's that's designed by high school students okay um, well anyways if you are year. only going to get your sticker then there's no sticker so <laughs> <laughs> be safe Do yeah it, um through the the drop boxes or the mailbox that's the safest way to to be voting uh during the pandemic and like i said you can follow you can follow your ballot all the way until receipt by the election commission online at the secretary of secretary of state's office so i um have been very busy with schools um it's a, such a solid challenging time um and there's a lot to say uh on, on this topic i did participate with other uh, school committee members on some walkthroughs that the administration uh, has been doing with the union. Uh, I was able to go to the Fletcher Maynard Academy, FMA, the, the Cambridge Port School and Morse. Today, this afternoon, I'm heading to Kalo, Kenny Longfellow. Um, the walkthroughs have been going pretty well. Um, you know, there's nothing like a deadline. So I know there's like things that, you know, have been ordered that are coming in this week by today that should be in classrooms and things that, you know, need to be fixed um, here and there. Uh, but more, I know that, you know, things will be in place. It's my understanding, you know, by, by opening, which is Tuesday. So there's nothing like a deadline. Uh, the, the teachers and principals are, are just, they're really, working hard um, and you know I know that there are undoubtedly a lot of concerns about staffing and how things will go on Tuesday and 
trying to find the right balance of these important aspects uh, with physical safety in a, in a limited time frame has made it, um, you know, challenging. Uh, it hasn't been a perfect process. And I think there are always ways to improve communication, uh, transparency, inclusion. Uh, I think I've been very grateful to the expertise of leading medical and public health experts who've talked about how we can mitigate risks as much as possible and create, you know, multiple layers of security. Uh, and it has been, it, it, it has been challenging because we have had, you know, we know that remote learning is, is, is really, really difficult. Um, and these school closures um, are going to lead to and have led to some devastating consequences, mm -hmm. uh, exacerbating economic uh, and educational inequalities, as well as putting children at greater risk of abuse, neglect, um, and, and domestic violence. And so it, it's, there are a lot of fears. Uh, and, you know, I wish this was a perfect process. I really, really do. Uh, and, but it hasn't been, and there's been issues here, there's been issues there. It's been, it's been a lot of, um, it's, you know, I, I wake up <laughs> with it on my mind. I go to bed with it um, each night and it's, um, it's challenging. Yeah. And I just add to the list of things that I worry about for kids is their mental health. Um, you know, remote learning has been really, really hard on so many kids and their mental health. And it's something that we don't often talk about. Um, right. but, you know, I'm seeing it in my, in my own kids. I'm seeing it. I'm hearing it from my friends who have kids and, you know, it's certainly something that you read about. Um, so I know so many parents are ready to send their kids to school next week. You know, these are kindergarten through, you know, first graders. It's really hard for them to be on Zoom. It's really hard for them to sit for that long in front of a computer. And I know at the same time, so many teachers are worried about their own safety and the safety of their families. Um, and I have a lot of friends in other districts and it sounds like no matter where you are, um, the, it's not, there's not a perfect answer or solution to this, whether it's, you know, kids go half time, you know, two days a week, and then they're off on Wednesdays. And um, I spoke to a friend of mine who is a second grade teacher in a suburb, and they have a one week, one week on with half their class, and then the other half comes for the following week. So on their remote weeks, her second graders are just doing independent work for five full days and they have zero live instruction, um, which I, I mean, yeah. I don't even know how you would do that. So, but she said, it's been great to have the kids back in class. I mean, that's why she's a teacher. She, she loves those kids. She is so happy to be back in the classroom. Um, she said that they've been awesome about wearing their masks, even seven, you know, seven and eight year olds and washing their hands and respecting the distancing. Uh, and she's, she's getting used to going into the building. Um, she, she still has, a lot of anxiety on Sunday nights, but you know, it's, it's decreasing now that she's in a rhythm um, and she's seeing how happy her kids are to be at school. You know, they, they say things like, oh, it's so, you know, I love coming to school. I hate, you know, being at home on, you know, on the computer and away from school. So yeah, you know, it's been really hard on, so it's just been hard on everybody. Um, yeah, it has, it has. I think for me, I've, I've loved seeing the parents and families at the Cambridge Back to School uh, resource fairs. My office has been hosting with CPS. We've had five so far, actually, uh, since in, since August. So, you know, first one was at Pisani Center and 808 Memorial Drive. The second one was at Fresh Apartments. 
There's one at King Open and then Peabody. And then last Saturday we were outside on Putnam, um, upper, outside Putnam, Putnam Ave, upper school. And a lot of families excited to get back. Um, and then, you know, a lot of families who are going to still be remote and, you know, wondering when they're going to get back. Um, so it is, it's this, it, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing to figure out. So we're, we're working hard and, um, you know, I hope everything goes well Tuesday. I will be at some of the schools along with other committee members, just welcoming students back from outside, of course. Um, so we're trying to get some fun signs and stuff. Um, if you're around, maybe you can join me. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to see kids and families. I'd love to see people again. So crazy. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, okay, moving on from that topic, because I think we could talk about that all day. But I did want to bring up before we start talking about um, the council agenda from Monday night that we did have a fire uh, this week, unfortunately, yeah. on Buckingham Street, and we lost a 77 year old resident um, in that fire and that blaze. She did not make it. Um, and unfortunately, she had lost her husband earlier this year. So my deepest condolences to her family and may she rest in peace. Um, some preliminary reports are the cause of the fire is unknown. Although there didn't seem to be any working smoke detectors sounding when the firefighters arrived and none have been found in the debris. Um, and then they said that an electric black blanket was found in, on the floor plugged in and then there was an extension cord was plugged into a, a wall air conditioner. So an electrical malfunction of the blanket, the extension cord or the outlet are possible causes of the fire. So anyway, people, that is a really sad story. It's um, unfortunately, we had three of our firefighters hospitalized for minor injuries. Um, you know, it, it is fire prevention week. So make sure that you have your smoke detectors uh, in and working. You have enough of them and that the batteries are functional. And then also our, our fire chief, you know, let us know that if you're hearing impaired, there are smoke detectors that also have flashing lights and a shake the bed function. So um, just make sure this fire prevention week that your smoke detectors are in and functioning and um, that you, you're taking all those precautions. We, that was just so, so, so sad. sad to hear about in the middle of the week, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, let's talk so, city council. Yeah, city council, we a, <laughs> yeah, we had a really long meeting on Monday night. Um, it adjourned at 11.59 and wow. um, yeah, and if it had gone, we, we would have, if we wanted to go back past 12, as we have in the past, you'd need a roll call. Anyway, it was my goal not to do that. We had started at five because we had an executive session that we had to do that lasted longer than uh, anticipated. Uh, so anyway, Alana, I asked Alana to come um, in person because she was at home and helped me chair some of the meeting during public comments so that I could have something to eat because I was going to pass out. So thank you, Alana, for coming all the way from your house. You're welcome. Um, I, I, we don't need you passing out up there. It's important that you eat. <laughs> uh, but we so, have a yeah. lot to talk about, actually. And I was, thank you for getting through the agenda. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, we did talk about uh, the. We had a tax rate hearing in the middle, so that's why it was also long. So. Every October, the city takes the last step of the budgeting process and the city council approves the city's tax rate for commercial and residential rates. The FY21 property tax levy will increase to 7.85% higher than past years, but lower than we anticipated this year as the city expected to see a significant reduction in state aid that ultimately didn't happen. Yeah, it was a really... Um... 
a shorter conversation than it has been in the past. But, you know, one of the things that comes up is each year a certain amount of money is taken from our cash reserves to ensure that even though assessments go up, that the property taxes stay reasonably low for our residents. So this year, $24.5 million we use to make this um, low amount of an increase possible. And as a result, 59% of residential taxpayers will see a reduction or no change or an increase of less than $100 on their tax bill this year. So although I'm really happy to see that Cambridge is in a strong financial position for FY21, I think we're all really, really nervous about what might happen next year and that next fiscal year will be harder. So, you know, on, on my time on the council, this is the third year in a row that councillors have had the same conversation uh, at the tax rate hearing about why we use that cash reserve uh, to artificially keep property taxes low. So in 2020, we were the 10th lowest tax rate in the Commonwealth. Just for a regional comparison, in 2020, Boston's residential tax rate was $10.56 per thousand of assessed value and Cambridge was $5.75. Most surrounding suburbs were between $9 and 13. So this year, our residential tax rate goes up, you know, 10 cents to 5.85 per thousand of assessed value. And the commercial tax rate will be 11.85 but we borrow tens of millions of dollars from our cash reserves to lessen the impact on property owners. And like I said, we've had the same conversation at the council level about why we do this and what we could use that, you know, $20 million could it be used for other city goals. But as I said on Monday night, it's too late to have that conversation at the tax setting hearing. And um, in fact, last year, the city manager and the budget co-chair said that they would convene a series of meetings so that we could, you know, have those conversations when we could affect whether or not a 20 million goes back to, to property owners or we use it for other city goals. But we didn't have them due to COVID-19. So here we are again, a little bit like Groundhog Day. Right. Who shares uh, on Monday announced that those conversations are already scheduled for November. So I'm looking forward to that meeting with them and the city finance team so we can be proactive and build consensus about what budget priorities for fiscal 22 will be knowing that you know, our revenues will be down, state aid will be down. Um, I think we're looking at a $2 billion shortfall statewide and there will be implications, um, chapter 70 funding and other you know, major revenue sources from the state. So it is going to be important for us to be a lot more engaged um, over the next year to understand uh, our fiscal uh, standing and, and the impact that COVID will continue to have on the city. Yeah, I think the tax rate letter will be very different next year. Correct. Uh, so we, yeah, we heard back, we did that hearing and then we had some reports from the city manager. Uh, one was around the, these anti, they were called anti-racist libraries. They're going to be called um, liberation libraries uh, that this is some, an effort through MBK uh, my brother's keeper, uh, my office, city manager's office, and the libraries um, to ba basically uh, promote reading and literacy while building and strengthening um, an interracial, racial, and cultural toolkit for members and visitors of the Cambridge community. Uh, and so, you know, all the books in the libraries will be donated to the community. There will be some quarterly book discussions that will be, uh, you know, topical ranging from you know joy to love to creating a learning space for members of our community um, with you know I think the construction packaging and marketing of the materials would begin this fall um, the programming um, is going to come online in the spring and Cambridge-based carpenter Kamala Harrington will construct the libraries 
and they these libraries the locations are um, still under discussion but the feedback from some of the counselors was that we should put them in you know areas throughout Cambridge uh, right now some of the locations are more in the port uh, and so really the goal is to you know as we think about how the U.S. has confronted many challenges as they relate to race, racism, and just the growing divide in this country. Um, we, you know, how do we get um, re different books and readings out to our Cambridge community? So more on that. So that was an update we received. Yeah, that was an interesting conversation because um, there was the, you know, where do we place the libraries? And it seemed like when we originally had the conversations, it was like, we need to place them in places where um, you know, if we're going to put How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, like, do we put it in li little free libraries or liberation libraries in the port, or do we put them in, you know, West Cambridge? So um, I'm glad that that conversation is evolving and that this project is moving forward. I think it's a good one and necessary to have a community conversation. Um, speaking of community conversations, we got a report back, uh, a public safety report back on the policy order that we put in in June around putting together an unarmed police response to address some of the issues that have um, come up as in the wake of the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and others. Um, you know, those, those high profile killings of black people here in the United States have elevated conversations on policing. So you, me, you, Councillor Simmons and Councillor Sabrina Wheeler submitted a policy order asking the city to develop an alternative public safety crisis response system with a real human surface services focus. So the report back to the city council details the efforts, those conversations and collaborations that have been happening between um, ourselves, the human services, public health, police and emergency communications departments, as we really reimagine public safety and an unarmed co-response co model like the one they have in Oregon uh, called CAHOOTS. So the report outlines some initial recommendations that uh, include creating a possible community crisis response team and what that would entail is hiring clinicians to provide an alternative mental health support response, offering crisis intervention, referrals, treatment, and psychiatric evaluations separate from the police department. The report also recommends that the city support the Central Square Business Improvement District. Um, they have proposed uh, something called PATH, which is persons assisting the homeless pilot. So under the proposed one year long PATH, three outreach workers with specialized training in mental health and substance addiction would offer services and referrals to residents experiencing homelessness in Central Square. The bid actually currently has one outreach worker, Crystal, who's amazing. Um, and she, she, uh, is, she's doing a lot of work uh, in the bid with um, you know, providing those wraparound services, uh, you know, making sure that she's reaching out to each and every homeless resident um, and connecting them to the resources that they need. But this PATH pilot will add three more folks in Central Square um, to do this work. So homelessness uh, is, you know, we don't talk about it a lot on this podcast, but it is something that I have been working on. The mayor has been working on um, over the, particularly since um, the beginning of COVID because it has become very acute, particularly in Central Square and Harvard Square. And so having a strong non-police outreach team to build that trust and connections, find housing, offer those wraparound services could be a game changer for unhoused residents. So the last thing that the report recommended um, was something that came up this summer, 
which was forming a, a city manager's task force charged with examining ways to limit the police response to calls for service without diminishing public safety or community safety while increasing community cohesion to include restorative processes. So as I said on Monday night, community members really need to be brought into this discussion about what such a task force would look like, should look like and be focused on. So, you know, these measures to reimagine public safety and ensure that public safety feels safe to everyone needs input from the community. So if we don't do that before a task force is convened, I, I, I really have concerns that that will fall flat. Um, so I, 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 that was something I felt really strongly about Monday night that I'm glad that we have a task force and we have some of these recommendations, but we haven't really had that community conversation yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I echoed that and, uh, you know, you, me and Council Member had been talking offline before this report um, to talk about the fact that, you know, community conversation should happen. And so, uh, you know, Councilmember Governor did say he'd be convening a human services and veterans committee uh, hearing to accomplish that goal. And I know you're a member of that committee. So I think it is a, is a good first step on the path to re-envisioning re public safety and talking about some of the, the things that have been recommended so far. Oh, oh I look forward to that. And I, um, I think I'm on every committee. Thanks, Mayor Siddiqui. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, she took one for the team. I, 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 I do. I remember being like, will you please do it all? <laughs> no one wants to be on these committees. Anyway. Well, yes, I am on all the committees and I enjoy, I actually enjoy committee work. I think it's- You're uh, not on government ops. I'm not. I'm not. That I think that is the one that I'm not on. Um, uh, okay. So the other things that happened on Monday night, we had two big ordinance that passed on Monday night, the affordable, the affordable housing overlay and the cycling safety ordinance. So first we passed the cycling safety ordinance, which uh, just basically lays out a timeline under which the city must construct 26 miles of protected bike lanes on key roads. So this ordinance lays out a bold vision and a clear achievable timeline that ensures the city continues to build a fully protected bike lane network, helping us reach our vision zero goals as well as our environmental goals. So I look forward to seeing what this infrastructure implemented across Cambridge over the next six years and seeing more residents opt to ride bikes over driving their cars as it becomes safer and safer to move through uh, the city on this new protected cycling infrastructure. So kudos to everybody that advocated yeah. for that and worked on that. Um, I was glad to see that passed on Monday night. Ditto. Uh, and then we passed the affordable housing overlay uh, into law on Monday night after a very long community process and many, many uh, meetings. So if you haven't been involved up to now in what this is, it's basically zoning that allows for greater density and height across the whole city if the units are affordable in perpetuity. So we've already heard from nonprofit affordable housing developers that this will make new projects possible for them. And this policy could have a potentially transformative effect on Cambridge. So more on that. Yeah, and I just looking uh, and seeing our neighboring cities and communities like Somerville, Newton and Boston, they've all indicated that they will be looking to adopt similar zoning in the future. And I think that this, you know, this affordable housing overlay will be a model for other cities and towns to think about creating affordable housing and decommodifying land cost. It's uh, exciting. It's been a long process, but um, I was yeah. glad to finally vote yes on Monday night. Yeah, and I think I said this Monday night and uh, for me, it's, I've, really drawn my lived life experience 
have been growing up in actual Cambridge affordable housing in two locations. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be here without it. So uh, I do think it's an important economic and social justice moment for our city. And um, I'm excited by the, by the prospect of it just creating more homes for, for people. Yeah, and I think we do. And I think, you know, you and I were on a Harvard votes challenge call last night. And, you know, I think what you said was, even if this only creates 100 units of affordable housing, that's a lot. Um, and I think, you know, you and I are constantly working with families and residents trying to get them into safe, affordable housing and to have 100 new units over however many years. I mean, it just, it feels like it's, it could be a game changer. Um, I also, I'm glad to see this one passed because um, now we can fully turn our attention to tenant protections and enacting some of the outstanding recommendations from the tenant displacement task force that you chaired last term. As we discussed uh, earlier, the tenant protections were already a critical need. And now with COVID and the wave of uh, evictions coming after the statewide moratorium ends, it's even more urgent. I know that in Cambridge, we have a different um, moratorium. Uh, it's slightly you know, when the, when the statewide one ends, Cambridge's will still be in effect, um, but it does mean that landlords can start a process. Um, they, can, they can provide a notice to quit, which under the statewide moratorium, they could not. So um, things are, are gonna get a little tricky, I think for folks and those ten strong tenant protections need to be our next focus. Yeah, so we, we did have, um some policy orders around that that um, I co-sponsored uh, about the uh, moratorium eviction enforcement to make it clear that it lasts beyond October 17th. And um, it also asked the city to vi widely educate residents, property owners, community groups, um, that the city's moratorium will stay in effect. Um, you know, this is the one of many ways Cambridge is hoping, you know, to promote housing stabilization in the coming weeks. There's a lot to work you know, on. Uh, and so I've, I've been working with the housing co-chairs around some of these pieces and what, um, you know, what the reality will be for our uh, residents. So there's definitely going to be, be more on that. We also had some policy orders on the cannabis. Thing. Um, so that's going to be moving through the ordinance process. And you had a, a policy order around the East Cambridge Neighborhood Conser Conservation District study. Yeah, so that policy order, the East Cambridge um, Neighborhood Conservation District study started last October. Um, and unfortunately, you know, as we've heard from some renters in the district study, the conservation district study area, they had not been engaged uh, in the process uh, or the study. So this policy order hopes to give renters a, a well-deserved seat at the table for policymaking that affects their homes and their housing, housing costs. And in addition, ask for data on how neighborhood conservation districts would affect Cambridge uh, housing affordability to ensure that when it comes to the city council as a recommendation from the study committee um, that we can make a, da a data-driven decision around housing affordability. So for a city that prides itself on making informed decisions um, and being very data-centric, data I was surprised to hear some pushback from residents. Uh, a lot of residents um, actually called in during public comment and expressed that they were very surprised that these measures aren't already part of a neighborhood conservation district's process. So I hope that we can incorporate those changes, both making sure that renters have access to information 
um, the same information that property owners get and have a seat at the table, but also that we actually provide that housing affordability impact report so that when um, we make a final decision on whether or not to move forward with a conservation district, that we do it with that in mind. It's the, you know, one of the number one goals of the city council is to worry about affordable housing and housing affordability in the city. Um, unfortunately, this uh, Councillor Carlone exercised his charter right, uh, and he did not say why. So we'll take this up on the next meeting, which is on the 19th. And for folks who um, aren't familiar with the process, any councillor can exercise their charter right, the right uh, as per the charter, to move any new business onto the following uh, regularly scheduled city council meeting to give more time um, between the new business being appearing on the agenda and actual votes. So Councillor Carlone ex exercised his and we will revisit this on the 19th. Uh, and then we also had a policy order coming from the Transportation and Public Utilities Committee meeting held on September 16th and you're part of that mm -hmm. uh, committee. Uh, Every committee. To <laughs> discuss potential improvements that could be made to promote uh, pedestrian and cyclist safety in Harvard Square. Uh, one intervention that was discussed at the committee hearing was a potential truck safety ordinance requiring that trucks operated by companies that have contracts with the city be outfitted with safety improvements, uh, an idea that we've been talking about for years without much progress. So this policy order asked the city manager to work with the city solicitor and traffic and parking and transportation department to prioritize drafting language for a truck safety ordinance so that that language can be before us on uh, October 19th. And Boston has already implemented a similar policy. So we both hope that the city can really move quickly with this much needed uh, safety intervention measure. Yeah, and so those, um, what those would look like are, you know, backup cameras for any trucks, uh, backup um, sounds for any trucks. So mm -hmm. if, if you remember that the woman near you in Cambridgeport who was unfortunately killed by a truck on Magazine Street in Putnam, I think. Um, she was killed by a truck that was backing up and had there been um, you know, something to alert her uh, that the truck was backing up or if the, the truck driver had been able to see her, we could have avoided that really unfortunate death right here um, on the streets of Cambridge. And so my sense was from that, tra that transportation committee hearing that um, the the ordinance is fully probably written and waiting yeah. for legal approval. Um, so I think, you know, just making it, you know, very clear that we want it out of the, the law department and in front of us to submit um, or to work on is, has to be a top priority. We can't just keep waiting for people um, to unfortunately be struck and killed on our streets to move some of these things forward. And it, it can be done, it can be done. So those were the policy orders that came up on Monday night. Uh, we do have some news to report. So flu shots, we've been talking about flu shots uh, on this podcast, I think ad nauseum, but starting on Thursday, October 15th, people who live or work in Cambridge can get a free flu shot at the health department's public clinics. The first four clinics will be held indoors on October 15th, October 21st and 22nd at the King Open School uh, on Cambridge Street in the Wellington Harrington neighborhood. People who are wanting an outdoor clinic, those will be held a little bit later in the month, October 28th and 29th at Starlight Square, which is the parking lot uh, on Norfolk Street and Bishop Allen and Central, and at Danny He Park, Fresh Pond Plaza on November 14th. So 
flu shot appointments are required and you can schedule an appointment online. Um, I will, I actually tweeted it this morning. I'll continue to tweet it. Uh, the city's flu shot call center will be open next week. And so those are for flu shots for uh, children age six months and older. You can receive a flu shot at all flu clinics. And I know this week, the Cambridge Public Health Department is at a number of the Cambridge Housing Authority's sites, the senior buildings, just doing flu shots on site for seniors right there in their building so they don't even have to leave. So it's important to get a flu shot this year. It's never been more important, in fact, um, because the, the combination of flu and COVID at the same time could really overwhelm our uh, health professionals. And so get a flu shot. If you don't wanna wait until October 15th, uh, I know the mayor and myself both got flu shots at CVS. They are free if you have insurance. It takes less than, I think I was in and out in like 10 minutes. But I know a lot of people have concerns about going into um, stores and lingering and, and you know, it's just, it's a really complicated time. So if you yeah. do want outdoor flu shots, they are at the end of the month, like I said, at Starlight Square and at Danny Hay Park. Uh, but definitely make a plan, make a plan to vote, make a plan to get a flu shot. Uh, these are definitely, critical definitely. things you need to do. Definitely, definitely. And we'll, we'll keep tweeting and posting and Instagramming all this information so that you have it. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's it. We, Monday is Indigenous Peoples Day. That's right. That's right. I also, just one more announcement I wanted to make was that um, even though kids are going back to school, some kids are going back to school on Tuesday, uh, and they will be receiving school lunches and breakfasts right in their classrooms, that all of the schools will still continue to have yes. a remote learning site school meal distribution at every single school. And then the two um, locations, one at Freshmont Apartments and one at 30 Cambridge Park Drive uh, in Elwife, just to make sure that um, people still understand that even though School starts for some kids next week and they will be receiving their school lunches in school. We will still be handing out lunches for all of our remote learners um, until, until everyone's back at school. So keep going. I saw today was pizza day. Um, <laughs> I want pizza for pizza day. So go pick pizza up a day, lunch. Yeah. And you know, I, the days that I've gone- It looks good, it looks good. <laughs> the days that I've gone, you know, it's so great to see some of the staff. I got to like, I went to the Tobin the other day and I got to see like, the woman who has always been our, you know, our lunch lady and, um, I, and the custodians and I saw the principal and the family liaison. So, you know, it's a real connection to the school. Like you may feel like, oh, you know, I can just make a sandwich or, you know, I, I think it's really a nice opportunity to like go and talk to people um, and see people that you know, and they're dying to see you too. I mean, quite honestly, like I, <laughs> I was talking to our principal and he was like, you don't have to leave yet. Like, I, I think all of these people that work in our schools, all of our staff, they, they work in schools because they, they love the family and they love the students and they've really been dying to see you. So go say hi, grab a lunch, um, thank them for what they're doing. It's really amazing that they're going and, and doing that every single day. So anyway, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. I hope everybody enjoys their, their day off. I hope they get the day off on Monday and we will see you in a few weeks. Yeah, take care, everyone. Bye.